Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Musai Collective. I'm your host, Lindsay Cabrera, and today is the launch of episode one of season two. This season, you'll continue to meet inspiring creative Musai from around the world, and I'll also continue to release our Musai mixes each month, coming from some of my favorite female DJs, which you can find on SoundCloud at Musai underscore collective. I'd also love to hear your comments in the Apple podcast reviews if you'd like to leave me one there. Kicking off season two, I have dear friend and DJ and producer Sydney Blue with us. Sydney Blue's career can be considered a journey of evolution with a tremendous passion for live performance, music production, and all around artistic creativity. Sydney's constant determination shines brightly through her accomplished DJ career. I was actually a Sydney Blue's publicist for about six years when I worked in dance music, and I've really watched her grow as an artist over the years. She really is relentless and inspiring. Today, we discuss her new album, Conviction, her time spent in Berlin, her advocacy to add a new category to the Juno Awards, female representation in the dance music industry, and much more. This musical Musai is an artist to watch, and you can follow her on Instagram at DJ Sydney Blue. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here's Sydney Blue on Musai Collective. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today to kick off season two of Musai Collective. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Congratulations on season two. That's awesome. Thank you. So just to give everyone the 411 on how we actually know each other, <laughs> I actually was Joanne's music publicist for about six years, which is crazy. Like, I don't even know where the time went. And of course, we just naturally became very good friends and we've traveled the world together, going to different festivals and conferences and have really watched one another grow over the years. And, you know, you've always been a great support to me and I have really enjoyed watching all the moves that you've been making over the past few years. So I'm so happy to have you here today and we're going to talk about a few different things that you're up to. But first, I want to start off with talking about your new album, Convictions. You recently just released this on March 12th and I know you produced half the album in Berlin and the other half in Canada. Can you tell us more about the vibe and the inspiration and the direction you were going for this? album. Yeah, I was basically trying to get re-inspired from being in Berlin. When I moved there in 2018, I I had the intention of wanting to be re-inspired musically because I was just really kind of over the sound of, you know, the big tech I was seeing in North America. I really wanted to get deeper with my music and kind of explore how authentic I could go as an artist. And then, yeah, I basically went to Berlin in late 2018. After I got there, I immediately got into the studio because I was going out all the time and I was getting really inspired from the clubs that I was going to. And I got right in the studio right away and I started writing the album. 2019, I was in the studio pretty much the entire year, simultaneously going out. So it was really cool because I would go out to, you know, Panorama Bar one night and I'd be really inspired to go into the studio and write like a, a proper house record or I'd go to Katerblau on another night and I'd be really inspired to go into the studio and write something super deep and melodic. So 
I definitely think overall my music got a lot deeper over the course of that year. But I also really liked exploring the new sound of like micro house and dub house and minimal. That was also a really big sound over there. So my album is actually a combination of like deep house, melodic and minimal. Those are the three main genres of music that the album is. And I think a lot of people really were receptive to it because of the fact that it crossed over multiple genres. I think it was just the same thing in a row, especially with all those songs. There was like 15 songs. Yeah, that's basically what happened. And then I came back after COVID, uh, when COVID hit, and I just picked up where I left off and got made a little makeshift studio here in Canada. And I kept writing and because I had to finish it. Yeah, I'm really happy with the way that it turned out. I definitely think that it is a way more authentic version of me, that album, than anything I've ever done. I'm really proud of the music more than any other music that I've made. And yeah, I'm just really excited about the results because it's been really well received. Yeah, congratulations. I've been seeing tons of press happening with this album. And, you know, it's funny. I remember when we would have these, we'd have so many conversations about, you're like, I think I'm going to move to Berlin. And I'm like, you should totally do it. And we, you know, this was a big dream of yours to go there and further your network and your career opportunities. And sometimes you need to move when you've been in the same place for many years. I mean, you were like, you know, very popular in North America for sure. And it was just time for you to expand your horizon and meet new people. And like you said, like when you were just explaining how you would go out at night and then be inspired by your experience and like create this new music. So it was almost like fueling your album for you, this inspiration. So can you share with us kind of like your Berlin experience and a little bit deeper into like how like the music there and the scene really helped you kind of transform your taste and maybe even just like the style of music you were starting to play out and create in studio? Yeah, well, I think that first of all, clubbing is the culture in that city. And so I find that with Berlin, it's a way more accepted thing to go out all the time. And I had been also in the scene in Toronto for a really long time. I lived in L.A. and in Miami as well. Every city is different, but I definitely started finding that a lot of people start thinking that going to the bar is like something you do only to a certain age and then you're done with it kind of thing. And that's kind of a bit of the North American attitude towards clubbing. And I find that Berlin is not that attitude at all. They look at it as part of their blood, their culture. People go out until they're old. Even, you know, Old, older people go to the bar, if, even if it's not a club, you know, you're walking down the street uh, to all hours of the night in Berlin. It's just one of those cities that is constantly alive with the nightlife. I felt less bad about myself going out every weekend again. And to be honest, I went out probably more than I've gone out in years. I felt like I was 20. Again. <laughs> it was a bit too much. <laughs> but... Uh, But I still, that really, like you said, it inspired my album. And it also inspired me to dig deeper on what I could produce uh, musically. Because Tech House wasn't really that big in Berlin either. So I wasn't listening to Tech House when I went out. Therefore, I wasn't inspired to write Tech House when I went home. So that was another thing. I still like love Tech House if it's done a certain way. Like if it's deeper, like one of the tracks, I have one really big record that came out on Authentic and then it came out on the album later called Conspiracy. And that's a very like minimal sounding, borderline minimal, borderline tech house record. And if it's done 
done that way, then I like it. But the same cookie cutter tech house that's always been played around North America, I just got so bored of it. So nothing was really inspiring me in North America. I go to Berlin. Now I'm going out and, and experiencing all these wicked clubs that have a completely different style of music. DJs that I've never heard before. That's another thing I love about Berlin. They're not into superstar DJs at all. So you're seeing DJs from all over the world that you've never seen before. And they're all just as good as the superstar DJs getting paid thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only club that has DJs that get paid and play from an international level, I mean, outside of Bergheim and Panorama, but that's a whole other ball game, is Watergate. And I went to Watergate like in January of last year. It was one of the last club nights that I had experienced. And it was not the funnest experience that I've had because it was just so touristy. And I'm not trying to knock Watergate because it has it's a legendary club and it has legendary nights that a lot of people have told me about. I've been there a few times, but the few times that I've been there, it's been very, very touristy. And I went to see Hudson City too because I've worked with him. And uh, I, when he's in town, I would just shout him and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come see you. So yeah, I went there and it was just like a really weird touristy vibe. So I really like the authentic like Berlin clubs like Kataplau, Sisyphos, Wilde Renata, like what an incredible club that one is too. And like just, you know, Panorama Bar and Bergein are good too. They are their own kind of animal, but I really love like the authentic Berlin club life. It really, really inspired me musically. They, they're not looking to anybody else either to try to create the sounds. They're looking, they're being authentic with them themselves. And I like that. They don't need a superstar DJ to come in and sell their place out. They're, they're sold out without these people. Mm-hmm. So. I was just, as you were explaining all of this I was getting flashbacks of summer of 2019 when we yeah. were in Berlin you were living there and uh our friend Omar and I we we all went out that day we we started at Sisyphus for the afternoon that was so much fun that DJ yeah, the he, journey yeah those guys it was just him right they're a duo but it was just one guy There's that two. right so that was so fun outside outdoors all day we were there and then we ended up at Caterblau for the end of the night, but uh, it's, you know, those are two, I think those are two of my favorite spots for sure. And that was just yeah. so great. <laughs> just got yeah, that. Yeah, and I started playing Sisyphos towards the end of the year. I finally got my first gig there and I've had a set that garnered like 10,000 plays on SoundCloud, the set that I played at Sisyphos. So nice. yeah, I can't wait to go back and play that club again. <laughs> incredible space. I know, I'm like craving that. That's, that's yeah. just like a whole different experience going to Berlin. And like you said, just like the lifestyle, the culture, it's accepted. And you know what else, when you were saying, you know, this North American mentality of like getting old, I say in air quotations, it's like, why can't I dance as long as I want to? Why can't, you know, I think, yeah. I think there's just such a, such a social stigma on like seeing old people. What's old? What is old? Old is how you feel. People yeah. can, that's just a number. So if you feel young in your heart and your spirit and you want to go dance to some techno music you go and I feel like there should yes. be discrimination I'm like thinking yeah. I'm like I don't want to stop dancing I love dancing <laughs> never exactly I, you know exactly. I love it I don't like it either I don't like it either I don't like it when people say yeah we don't go to the bar anymore I'm like, like shut like, up you're 30 years old hello get a life <laughs> it's, a, it's a place to go and socialize just buy drinks and talk to people like yeah and you, know, if you don't want to go to a bar with a bad crowd. Yeah, I will say, yeah, I will say like the clubs that we're discussing right now, 
the thing is the music that is being played, it's actually art. So it's an experience. So I I will say, yes. Okay. I don't need to go downtown Toronto to King street to all those like bottle service bars. That's not my thing. It's not your thing. I know that this is a whole different subculture. So yeah, I understand that from that point of view, I guess, but I mean, people need to understand that like, this is truly an art experience and it's, it's such a beautiful community. So I am never going to stop dancing. (laughs) No. (laughs) So anyways, um, okay. Well, thank you for sharing. So I want to talk and shine some light on something that you've been quite passionate over the past few years, which is creating a new category for the Juno Awards, which everyone is Canada's Music Awards. So you've been working tirelessly with a few partners to add a category, a new category called the Underground Dance Single of the year. Can you share with us, you know, what exactly this took to do to get all of this together, the proposal and the process and, you know, your insights on this experience and like where it's at now? Sure. I have had such an experience putting this whole thing together. It's been the hardest I've worked on anything in my life, probably. I will say that to start the issue with the Juno Awards and electronic music right now is the fact that they have not been representing underground dance music at all. They basically completely cater to EDM in their two electronic categories. Electronic album of the year is a bit better than dance recording of the year. Dance recording of the year is just like 100% EDM commercial, any kind of commercial dance music. Sometimes it's even pop, really. And then you've got Electronic Album of the Year, which has some cool artists, like they just nominated Bob Moses this year and Caribou's in there. I mean, it's still, those guys are kind of commercial now too, but I mean, it's a lot better than some of the EDM that's happening in the other category. But still, for the most part, vocals, commercial, not looking at all at non-vocal records, you know, this is the way that these two categories are. There's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons is because of the people voting. They often choose people who are working for major record labels, we're making for major mainstream radio, and they often cater to a commercial sounding record because they don't understand, say, a techno record because they don't work in the, in the underground dance industry. I was on the committee in 2015 and 2016, and I noticed that all of the records that were being submitted were mostly EDM, and the, the few records that would get submitted were uh, that were underground would never get a nomination, thus leading to less and less submissions in the underground world. And basically, the big issue is that nobody from underground dance is submitting at all towards the, especially towards the end of the time that I was on there that I witnessed, it doesn't seem like anybody is submitting anymore. And then also it just, they're leaving out half of the industry and they're not even noticing it. So what I ended up doing was I talked to some people who were in my committee at that time. And we discussed going to the Juno's with a proposal that represents the other half of the electronic music sector, the underground electronic music sector. And it would be like to just have a category for us. And so we talked to the industry, asked people if they would be into submitting letters, what they thought of this situation. Do you think you guys would, do you think it's a good idea that we get our own category? Everybody was really excited about it. Everybody submitted letters. We did a template. We handed in our first proposal in 2019. Then we started like going into these meetings with Karis, the people who run the Junos. They would tell us, okay, we need a little bit more 
more data. Can you do a study for us and go through all of our submissions, say, for the past three years? Tell us how many people would go into your category, how many people are not submitting, et cetera. Our study proved that nobody really was submitting at all. We looked at all the submissions. There was very few from our world that were even bothering submitting, which is a good thing because if we create this category, that means we're not going to be taking submissions from other categories. We're just bringing an entire new group of people in to start engaging. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is good for the Junos. This is like drawing people's attention that are not paying attention at all to the Junos towards them because nobody from underground dance is paying attention to the Juno Awards. Well, exactly. I was going to say like, they probably don't even realize that they could even submit because it just seems no. like... Any- no, you'd have to be contacted by one of the EDM guys who right. are writing the, the, <laughs> the, the dance recording of the year. Yeah, okay. And I'm sorry, but they're not very versed in what the underground culture is. Yeah. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Yeah, basically we went to the Junos. We did the study for them. Then they asked us, who are the top artists? We gave them a list of the top artists in underground dance, you know, named off some great artists like Richie Houghton, Tiga, Blondish, Carlo Leo, Matthew Johnson, like all these great artists. Then COVID-19 hit and it was 2020 and we were probably going to do the final presentation that year. And then because of COVID, they the Junos were canceled and they were like, everything's on hold. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't really argue with that. It was yeah. a weird time. So we waited. Then I reached out to her mid-year and I said, do you think we could like actually try to get a sponsor maybe for next year? Because they were saying that maybe it'd be a good idea to get a sponsor because then that will pay for the submissions of the first year of our category. So I did that started talking to sponsors, which was good because it showed her that we were engaging. At that point, other people started coming to her because they started planning 2021 Junos. It's coming up very soon. And a lot of the people from the uh, categories started to complain (laughs) about the fact that they were not representing underground. And she said, oh, well, there's this group of people that are submitting an underground proposal. So there was an advocate from the LGBTQ plus community that was very upset, very, very, very upset. She was on the electronic album committee and she was not happy about the fact, the lack of representation in the LGBTQ plus community because it, this music was essentially born in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. It was also born in the black community. So it's like, if we are just nominating a bunch of straight white dudes all the time, like that's something also to look at because it's literally appropriation. And underground dance music keeps the traditional roots of electronic music. It's yeah. not this, this, you know, stem off of EDM that's happened. It's it's what it was at the beginning. Yeah. And so that's another thing that we talked about in our presentation a couple of weeks ago. So we got the LGBT people involved with us. And then we had a Francophone person say the same thing to them. And she started complaining and they said, oh, well, I just introduced you to that. The girl from Paris got us all together. And all these people that started complaining on their own, they just started joining our team to build our team even more to the point where in January, we were told that we were finally getting the opportunity to do our final presentation. And we just did it. And it went really well. We had to talk to the other categories about how we were all going to work together. It ended up working out. It was a little bit of a hassle with one of them, but it all worked out. And then by the end, we had our final presentation in which I did a slide presentation and went through every single point of why this 
category matters. We submitted like 602 songs or something like that. Oh, wow. That would go in our category. We gave them names of artists, festivals, everything. We even made a takeaway document on top of the 210 page proposal of just data. Yeah, I, I can't, I don't think I've ever been <laughs> exhausting, man. It was a lot of work. I am going to be the chair of this category if it comes into play for next year. We're finding out literally any day now. They told us like, on Friday that they had to go back and do a little bit more research. I don't know what, how much, like, where what else? <laughs> what else is there to do? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. But I'm just like crossing my fingers and whatever. I, I, I honestly don't know what I would say if it were a no, but I mean, they're really, the girl who's been helping us from the beginning, she really wants it to happen. So I believe that she's going to hopefully, you know, help push it but it's ultimately up to the the board members and these are people that you know the heads 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 and these are people that don't know anything about electricity uh-huh, so uh-huh. it's ultimately how well did we present this to these people and do they care you know like we we still don't have the stream say that a pop edm artist is going to have or a pop artist in general is going to have mm-hmm. like i'm sorry that we're not justin bieber mm-hmm. uh we never will be we don't yeah. want to be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but does that mean we shouldn't have an award? I don't think so. Yeah. So it's, it's still, all these artists work just as hard, you know? So we deserve to have an award for these artists. Absolutely. I'm so, I want to say, I'm just so proud of you for all of this. You know, you really, very, you've really, really spearheaded this and you had the right team with you alongside. And like, I really hope this works out. We have to celebrate somehow, (laughs) if and when. Oh, (laughs) we're celebrating. (laughs) You all fly down to the Dominican Republic. (laughs) So that's incredible. And I think, you know, sometimes like people know something is missing, but no one wants to do anything about it. So the fact that you were like, no, fuck this. This is ridiculous. Why isn't this happening? what do we need to do? And you did it. So good for you. Yeah. Fing- finger Hopefully. snap. <laughs> <Literally>. Sassy. <laughs> I don't think I could have, you know, Mark Quayle said to me the other day, who was my partner in this whole thing, he was like, you have left no stone unturned. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I, it's true. I have, he's like, he's like, we don't get it. It's not our fault. <laughs> yeah. Like you've literally done everything here and provided all the data, all the, Insights, yeah. the proposals, the letters, incredible, really. Um, Late so. night working on this proposal yeah. you know, with, you know, no guarantee of anything. So mm-hmm. hopefully, and the designer too, she's awesome. This girl named Jacqueline, she's just this girl who came out a lot to my shows and she volunteered. Actually, you know Jacqueline. Oh, Jacqueline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah, <laughs> she volunteered to do all the artwork for us. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, wow. Which, you know, yeah. And she did it voluntarily because she knew it was for such a good cause. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I must give her my love. And I, yeah. I'm taking her out to dinner again Amazing. for the second time. The next time I see her. Every time I see her, I take her to dinner just for uh, thank you. Well, hey, Jacqueline, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was really, it, it, it took a group of really committed people that knew how important it was to all volunteer their time. Yeah, to make uh, it happen. But, yeah. Okay, well, another movement, you're just so busy. <laughs> another movement you're passionate about is female representation in the dance music industry. 
And, you know, of course, this industry is heavily male dominated. And I can only imagine your experience as a female artist over the years in the span of your career. And, you know, can you share with us how you're trying to voice this to the public and make changes within the industry? Yeah, I have become passionate about this a lot just this year. I think because of the lockdown and COVID, I finally had a time to actually kind of think a lot over the course of the past year we all have. So I decided to start talking to different people about record label representation because I found that the record labels still have not changed in representation. It's gotten a little bit better, but not really. So I wrote an article recently and I'm probably going to start a campaign with some heavy players in the industry that basically encourages male-dominated record labels to sign female artists and female producers. It really kind of kicked into play for me around Women's Day when I played on a really amazing lineup called Women in Music for Dirty Bird. And it was a three-day event with like all incredible female producers. And there's so many excuses on why male-dominated record labels are not signing females. One of them is, well, I just wait for you know, the the demos to come to me. Other things are like, well, we signed that one girl and they think that that's enough. But ultimately, you know, I watched that movie that Res made, actually. It's not Res that made it. There's, it's an actual filmmaker that made it. It's, you should watch it if you have an opportunity. And it's about female, lack of female representation in the industry. And somebody said to me, like, when she first put that movie out, it came out at TIFF last year. Oh, great. That's what, that's all we need to see is like one of the most booked EDM DJs making a movie about not getting booked. And uh, that's automatically what I thought too. Like, why is a really big female DJ making a movie about not getting booked? It's not about that at all. It actually starts out talking about how some incredible women like Delia Derbshire and like these other women that I can't think of their names right now, but they were all incredible producers in like the 60s and 70s. They were the, some of the pioneers of actually making electronic music. There's another movie that's about to come out just about this alone. But women actually were some of the first people in the studio making electronic music. Delia Derbshire made the Doctor Who anthem, which is like for the Doctor Who television show from the 1980s. And some, something started happening where men started telling these women they weren't allowed to come to the studio anymore. And they were basically essentially booted out. And then the men got in their position and then just completely took over to the point where it became very uncomfortable for a woman to ever get back into the studio. So just that that whole piece alone really struck me because I was like, this is kind of how I feel. There's such a lack of, like, it was really nerve-wracking for me to get into the studio at the beginning at first as well. And I've had to work at it harder than I had to work at anything. Uh, I've always had to take little courses or different. uh, I went to school for it as well. But I've always had to try to work harder at getting better at production because I just always didn't feel that there was a lot of good inspiration for me. And there wasn't a lot of people that were excited to help either. So after, you know, watching that movie, I was just like, oh, okay. So now I see that actually if a male-dominated record label, for example, just wants to sign all men. And they say, well, we're not getting any female demos. And, oh, we have that one girl. And then they've got all these demos coming in from their friends that are men. When is it ever going to change 
that it's going to start going a little bit more even. And then the record labels essentially make the lineups happen because often the record labels are the ones throwing the party. And like all these great media outlets like Beatport and Mixmag, they're doing all these campaigns to say like equal lineup at festivals and stuff. But like if the record labels don't change first and make it equal, how is it ever going to change at the top? Because ultimately it's about music production, right? It's very yeah. rare that a female a DJ in general gets big from just DJing. Yeah. You get music from music production. And if it's all dude record labels, then even like one woman, whatever, like it's still, there's no reason anymore in 2021, if you really think about it, that our industry should be 80 to 90% men. Why? Like there's nothing inspiring at looking at something like that. No. They also talked about that in the movie as well. That it's like, how inspiring is that to you? If the, all the people that you just look up on the decks are white men. You yeah. know, it's just not inspiring whatsoever. Yeah. And it's time people really start talking about it. Like for a while, I up until like just even like a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, it is what it is. I just work my butt off to be, you know, one of the best females. And I never really thought hard about trying to help change the fact that like lineups and parties, etc., didn't have enough women or equal women on them. But I'm at a point right now where I definitely want to hold myself accountable for it. And then once I start, when I get back into throwing parties again, then I can start holding other people accountable for it for sure. I mm-hmm. definitely will start bringing it up with my friends that are club owners, promoters, record label owners. Like I have no qualms about just saying it to everybody now because I, I don't want to play a party if there's two DJs that are going to be playing, like let's say I go headline coda what time in the future and usually there's a dj that opens for me and closes for me i'm not going to do it unless at least there's one woman on it and then the other can be a man that's fine i definitely think nightclubs should make a pledge moving forward to making their lineups 50 percent women absolutely it's always really think they need to yeah. I mean, I really noticed this. I'm not an artist, but, you know, working as a music publicist for many years and working for these music festivals and looking at these lineups each summer, each season, and just seeing like men, 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 maybe like one or two women. Dude, dude, like, Hello. Dude. Like, do you know how many talented female artists are out there? And I would have these conversations with our teams, our internal teams and saying like, what's going on there? And they're like, oh, well, they're not available or they can't play that date. And it's like, well, book them more in advance then. Or there's other, there's other options. It's just like, I know they're also trying to curate a special vibe and with the lineup, but I feel like it's there. And like you said, like the whole, it's starting with the label, it all streamlines, it's all connected. Yeah. So like you said, the label's heavily male dominated. They're going to throw a party. So the lineup's automatically heavily male. So yeah. You know, it really... These record labels don't have any women on them. Yeah. None. Mm-hmm. Like, good labels, too. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like It's just disappointing I, to see it. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, it's 2021. I can get it together. Were you okay? It's really surprising. Like, why you have zero women on your record label? Yeah. Like, yeah. how is that even... It's 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're like ready for that, you know, next step in the music industry. And I know there's uh, some conversations happening and happening about it, but I feel like it needs to be talked about more. So I'm really happy that we're having this conversation right now. And I think it's important that like, as we're talking to our friends in the industry, just to kind of bring it up in conversation and then, then you know, plant the seed. (laughs) 
I'm going to talk about it a lot more. As soon as things start getting back, where everybody is throwing parties again, yeah. I know everyone's going to need to, people have not made any money in a long time and yeah. haven't been able to throw a party in a long time. But once things get back to a little bit of a regular pace, I definitely mm-hmm. think it should be a pledge that everyone should make. Yeah, just more of an effort for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, next I want to talk about the... Me Too for the music campaign that's running, which is a group of people in the dance music industry who are fighting for change in an industry that has been cloaked in sexual abuse from its infancy. So can you tell us a little bit more about the campaign and how you've been involved with it directly? So I got involved with it because DJ Rebecca reached out to me around the time that the whole Eric Murillo thing had happened. I am friends with Kristen who came out and had to publicly talk about how she had been raped by Eric Murillo. And the whole thing was really traumatizing, I think, for a lot of women. Some women spoke about it, some didn't. I didn't really speak about it publicly. But for me, watching Kristen get abused and harassed the way she did, and she didn't even come forward about it publicly. Somebody outed her for it. And then she had to talk about it publicly, Um. I think you could, I think that's illegal to talk about sexual assault survivors publicly without their permission or something. Mm. I'm not sure, but she got harassed like another level of harassment. People were really, really mean to her and nobody knew what the story is. And when she finally did tell the story, they didn't believe her. And I think a big issue is a lot of people don't believe sexual assault survivors when they do come out, especially in our industry, because they want to hold these DJs or whoever is doing it at this on this pedestal. When I think all of us know how scary the electronic music industry can be when it comes to being around certain men. And Rebecca who, DJ Rebecca, who she had seen me talking about it to somebody, I can't remember who, and I think in a comment or social media, and she reached out to me to ask me if I wanted to contribute to her campaign that she was starting. Basically, she's like, our electronic music industry has never had a Me Too campaign. She's like, I think from, you know, your comment and from all the other women that I'm friends with in the industry, we've all experienced some form of sexual harassment or sexual assault. And I think it's time that our clubs start fighting it. I think it's time that our industry starts fighting it, standing up to it and saying that we're not going to accept it anymore. And so... I want to create a safe space for women to give testimonials, which is why she created the website. I contributed a testimonial without anonymously. And I thought it was really important. I just think that it's, that's another thing that it's high time that this came about because I mean, electronic music, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing, but it's full of when, you know, certain men get really messed up at a nightclub and they start feeling like it's appropriate to do certain things, touch a woman in a certain way. You know, I just think that there needs to be a lot more pushback on that kind of behavior. Because I think in some places it's been talked about that it's unacceptable, but in other places it's just rampant. And I think as female artists too, um, just to be protected in the, in the club and feel safe when we're going to a nightclub and not have a bunch of dudes around us and just all these different things that can make us feel safer safer as female artists. So it's basically a pledge to make women feel more comfortable in this environment and feel safe about coming out about sexual assault because women do not feel safe about coming out against sexual assault. I don't think women in general feel safe about coming out about sexual assault, but especially not in electronic music. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the first time that people have talked about it. I was super 
happy to help Rebecca and support her with the campaign. It's con- it's ongoing. It's continuing. I know she's starting a podcast right now about it, but I think it's important. Yeah, for sure. It, it's It's been, you know, undercover for so long now. And it's like, oh, you don't talk about that. Or maybe the victims are like, oh my gosh, I can't, who am I supposed to talk to about this? And um, I think, like you said, I mean, for all women, sexual assault is a terrifying traumatic experience, but also like being in an industry, maybe you were a female DJ trying to like, you know, come up in your career and and maybe there's like a, you know, that whole me too exchange where like, I don't know, a record head of a record label is like, well, if you do this for me, then I'll sign you on my label or whatever. I'm not sure if that sneaky stuff happens. It probably does, but absolutely it does. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really nice that there's this platform here and, you know, the support is there and, you know, women can share their stories and help support one another. So that's really great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll link yeah. this information in your episodes. So people could check it out as well. Absolutely. And if anybody's had like a, a experience they want to share, you can do a testimonial without even like, if you want, it needs to be anonymous. It can be, or you can say your name. It's up to you. Yeah. But it's a good place to go. For sure. Tell your story. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really important that we talked about that, you know, now I want to talk about some of your muses in your life. Can you give us maybe one or two of your muses, maybe that, you know, inspired you along your career or in the beginning of things? (laughs) Yeah. I think that the women who inspired me from the beginning of my career would be these four women from Chicago, DJ Heather, Lady D, DJ Dehota and DJ Colette. They, the four of them, basically were uh, the first female badass DJs from Chicago. They were a collective and everybody knew who they were when I was starting out. They they were the queens of house when I first started. So I was really inspired by them when I first started. There weren't a lot of female DJs to look up to. Yeah. And they were definitely the ones that I looked up to. I still think that they're very inspiring. Another woman that I still love is Madonna. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's such an incredible career. And I definitely am inspired by all the different times she reinvented herself. And I mean, she was my favorite, favorite artist, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, like Confessions on the Dance Floor, all of that. And I love some of the producers that she worked with. And yeah, just a really inspiring long career that I like to look at, you know. Of course. I mean, there's, I feel like she's just like, got so many chapters of her career and it's so interesting to like just watch her even just like myself from yeah that. and all very very successful yeah yeah love madonna <laughs> okay so we're gonna do the follow your bliss finale question can you share with us one positive outcome from this pandemic you may have experienced or any life-changing lessons learned i think that This pandemic has been a blessing for me because I needed to just stop and reassess everything. I needed to reassess the situation. Yes. (laughs) As you would say. (laughs) That's something I would say. (laughs) Um, I just really needed a break from like the constant hustle for gigs and whatnot. I needed to stop. I needed to write my album. I needed to focus on my production. I definitely think my music production got a lot better after I got home even because I started getting all these new plugins for my computer and I really focused. I had the time to just sit and make music. So that was one thing that was really great that came out of that. But also just getting more organized with the way that I run my life, my finances, everything in regards to just, you know, a life audit. 
I think I did one of those. Mm. So I'm looking forward to getting back in the world and being a much more responsible adult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I take care of myself a lot better. I'm better with my money. I, you know, I eat probably a lot healthier than I've ever had. And so I think that all of these things, I sleep a lot better. Like, I think all of these things are important. Once you get to a certain point in your life, you're like, okay, how do I do this the best that I possibly can? And yeah. it'll, it, the, the rewards are endless when you think like that. So for sure. I feel the same way. It's really, uh, comes full circle. Like, you know, no, no more really late nights happening, eating healthy, exercising, wellness, organizing things. It just really puts you in a place of an alignment. So when you're aligned, yeah. you just feel like you can be more productive and like get things done. Or maybe you have like more creative ideas happening or, you know, you have yeah. more energy to get in the studio or do, I mean, you've been, you know, running your album campaign since March and it's been like fire. Like I was like, yeah, go do it. And you, all the articles and the interviews and, and then the Juno staff and everything else you're doing. So yeah. Damn. Uh, I'm not drinking <laughs> either. That's another thing. That's, That's a big one. Quit drinking. That's amazing. Yeah. So I was drinking almost every day, not like a lot, but like I like having a beer, glass of wine. Absolutely, and yeah. I, you don't realize that oh, it's not so good to do every day, but yeah. it's just a habit. Yeah, I wasn't doing it a lot. Like I said, I wasn't getting drunk every day or anything like that. Yeah, I yeah. Have like a glass of wine, maybe two in the evening, a beer. Exactly. It's just like if you do it seven times a week, it's like yeah, it adds up. Know. It's just a bad habit. Once you break it, once you like, I, I took two months off completely. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it takes like two, three weeks to break a habit. And then once I had done that, I wasn't going to go back to doing that every day again. No. Like, I had no desire to. Yeah. I drinks, you... Like, but pretty much when I go out. Yeah. No. But do you the... feel, how did you feel or how do you feel? Just like way back, way healthier. Oh, I feel completely different. And alcohol to me, I look and taste, like alcohol to me is a completely different thing now. Yeah. It's just not something I crave anymore. I agree. I I'd like... rather have kombucha. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> of course. We're always on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here today and kicking off season two with me. I'm so happy that it, it's your episode. I was like, hmm, who am I going to, who am I going to have for the first episode of season two? <laughs> so thank you so much. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode with Sydney Blue. You can listen to her album. I will link everything below. And Joe, I love you. And we'll see you in the future. <laughs> Thank you. Love you too. Mwah, love you.